Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 3rd of January here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Hamas says Israel has killed one of its senior leaders in Lebanon's capital. Barclays' bearish outlook wipes more than $100 billion off Apple's shares in just one day. Plus, Harvard's president quits after allegations of plagiarism and controversy over anti-Semitism on campus. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Hamas says one of its senior leaders has been killed by Israel in an explosion in Beirut. Salah al-Aruri was the deputy head of the group's Politburo and considered to be the mastermind behind Hamas's armed wing in the West Bank. Yossi Meckelberg is an associate fellow at the Chatham House Foreign Policy Research Group. He says there are now concerns about retaliation from Hezbollah. The idea of striking at the heart of Beirut and some such a senior figure within Hamas, the question is what happens next and what the Hezbollah said it feel obliged to react or it will be served actually as a deterrent. Chatham House is Yossi Meckelberg referring there to the Lebanese militant group considered to be heavily armed and better equipped than Hamas. Now, the shipping giant Maersk says that it won't allow its vessels to sail through the Red Sea until further notice after another of its ships was attacked over the weekend. The Danish company joins Germany's Hapag Lloyd in pausing transit through Egypt's Suez Canal on safety grounds. Houthi militants in Yemen say that they are targeting merchant ships in the Red Sea that have any kind of link to Israel to punish Tel Aviv for the conflict in Gaza. However, those connections have looked increasingly spurious. Iran sent a warship to the area on Tuesday in a further sign of escalation as a US-led task force continues to patrol the waters off Yemen. British company executives are getting gloomier about the country's economic prospects. The Institute of Directors says the fall in confidence should help to justify an early cut in interest rates by the Bank of England. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts has more. Gloomy and getting gloomier. That's the verdict of company bosses on the UK's economic outlook. The Economic Confidence Index from the Institute of Directors dropped to minus 28 in December from minus 21 the previous month. That puts it at the lowest level since August. But despite their worries about the broader economy, company leaders are more optimistic about the prospects for their own companies. That reading jumped to plus 36 in December from plus 30 the previous month. In terms of kickstarting the economy, the Institute of Directors say that an early rate cut from the Bank of England will be a good way to lift the gloom. In London, Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Radio. 
Now to some corporate news. Apple shares lost more than $107 billion in value after Barclays analysts downgraded their view on the tech giant. The stock fell by 3.6% in yesterday's trading after the note was published. Bloomberg's Mark German explains the bearish view of the iPhone maker. Four quarters plus in a row of holiday declines. Uh, The earnings report that's coming at the end of January, early February, will indicate that Q1 was either in line, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less than the prior quarter. You have these patent situations which are likely to crop up uh, in higher frequency now, given the success that Mossimo has had over the past few months. Uh, You're not seeing anything in the 2024 product pipeline uh, that is in the short term going to juice sales to any considerable degree. So they're sensing some fragility there. German also notes that Apple's market value rose by nearly a trillion dollars in 2023, making yesterday's slump just a dent in the world's most valuable traded company. Not all analysts are bearish either. Dan Ives at Wedbush Securities expects the company will be worth $4 trillion by the end of this year. Tesla has officially lost its title as the world's best-selling electric car maker to China's BYD. The Elon Musk-led company beat its target of delivering 1.8 million vehicles in 2023, but was outpaced in the fourth quarter by cheaper models from its Chinese rival. Bloomberg's technology reporter Ed Ludlow says a wider variety of models helped BYD to pull ahead. One thing that BYD does that's very different from Tesla is that alongside battery electric cars, they also do plug-in hybrids. In the fourth quarter of 2023, BYD sold 526,409 fully battery electric cars, most of them in China, whereas Tesla handed over 484,507 globally. But if you aggregate it over the course of the year, BYD is only bigger than Tesla on an annual basis in 2023 if you Include plug-in hybrid. That's Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow. Despite a strong position in its home market of China, BYD doesn't sell in the United States, where its vehicles would face a 27.5% import tariff. The president of Harvard University, Claudine Gay, is stepping down after allegations of plagiarism and a campus furore over anti-Semitism. In a statement, the political scientist said that she's resigning so that Harvard can, quote, navigate this moment of extraordinary challenge with a focus on the institution rather than any individual. Her six-month tenure makes Gay the shortest-serving Harvard president in history. Bloomberg's David Weston says that similar challenges face the leadership of the University of Pennsylvania and MIT. It has been sort of a firestorm for these three presidents to deal with exactly how you control uh, and influence discussion on the campus. There were also questions, as you know, that developed over time about some of the work uh, that President Gay had done for her dissertation, for her PhD, and allegations that she had uh, improperly used sources that she did not identify. Bloomberg's David Weston there. Criticism of Gay mounted after her testimony to a US House of Representatives committee in December in which she failed to condemn calls for genocide against Jews as a violation of university policy. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who questioned the former president during the session, said that her departure was, quote, long overdue.
Now, in a moment, we're going to look at the battle for electric vehicle dominance. Tesla officially losing its crown as the world's biggest electric car maker. Uh, that shortly with our tech reporter, Aggie Cantrell. But first, I picked this out on the Bluebeg Terminal this morning. I mean, it's just such a fun read. Jessica Carl has made a 2024 predictions bingo card. It's made up of all of the Bloomberg opinion pieces that our colleagues have written about the year ahead. But it starts with just these wonderful images, weird and wonderful predictions published in newspapers 100 years ago about what people thought 2024 was actually going to be like. Things like beds automatically flinging children out in the morning, Carol. I'm sure you could use that uh, at home, perhaps. I could probably use one myself, to be honest. Uh, men's legs will wither away from underuse. Uh, and and also, what what would happen to the horse? <laughs> where the horses would, would just die out or disappear, yeah. you know, with the motor vehicle. Anyway, really fascinating stuff. Not not terribly relevant, I would say, actually, to what the 2024 predictions are. No, indeed. Which include things like the uh, in, on the bingo card, China makes even faster hypersonic missiles, uh, the domestication of AI, Sally Rooney announcing a new book. You know, yes. all the important moments. Yeah, absolutely. A nice one to read on the Bluebeg Terminal then uh, from our colleague Jessica Carl. Well, let's turn back to our top story now and the latest developments in the Middle East. Hamas says one of its senior leaders has been killed by Israel in Lebanon, while the shipping giant Maersk says its vessels, vessels won't use the Red Sea until further notice after one was attacked over the weekend. Bloomberg's Bruce Einhorn has been following this story for us and he joins us now. Bruce, what exactly do we know then about the killing of Salah al Aurori in Beirut? So we know that um, Hamas has said that um, he was killed. Um, uh, by an Israeli strike. Um, uh, the Lebanese uh, state-run news agency also said that uh, there was an Israeli drone attack um, that it atta- uh, targeted an apartment building in the southern suburbs of Beirut. Um, six people ki- six people killed in the attack, including al Arori, um, who is uh, was the deputy head of the Politburo of Hamas. Um, al Arori had spent many years in Israeli prisons, um, was sent into exile in 2010. Um, since then, uh, Israel has accused him of being the mastermind behind attacks in the West Bank, in Israel itself, as well as being the liaison uh, between Hamas and Iran. How significant is it? Um, what has Israel said? D- does it lead to an escalation with Hezbollah? Well, it could lead to an escalation with Hezbollah. Of course, this was an attack on a Hamas leader, not on a Hezbollah leader, but it was in Beirut. Um, There have been uh, back and forth attacks uh, um, between Hezbollah and Israel uh, since the start of the war in Gaza in October. Um, uh, To date, even though there have been casualties on both sides, um, that's been fairly contained. Um, There has been concern for quite a while um, that the uh, um, uh, the situation could escalate. There, there could be the opening of another front in this war. Uh, and um, uh, as you know, we heard earlier from uh, the expert, there is the possibility now that Hezbollah may see this as a provocation that they will need to respond to. It's also possible that they may see it as um, uh, a reason to hold back, um, that there may be a deterrent value here. Um, hard to say, of course, at this point. 
and this is just illustrating the complexity too of this conflict. Another aspect has been the attacks on ships in the Red Sea. Uh, further disruption we're learning about Mars extending its pause announced over the weekend on vessels using that route. What sort of effect does that have on, on sort of supply chains globally? Uh, well, um, uh, so at this point now, Maersk and Hapag Lloyd have both said that they w- are pausing indefinitely. Um, they're uh, transiting through the Suez Canal and the Red Sea. Um, uh, in addition to them, uh, many other companies have also scaled back. At this point, about half of the traffic that normally would go through the Suez Canal is avoiding that route. Um, going around Africa um, could add about 25% uh, to the time uh, of a voyage to Europe uh, and, of course, add to cost. This comes at a time when the other major canal in the world, the Panama Canal, is suffering because of a drought. So just um, uh, further strain on global supply chains. Does it mean, though, that the US-led efforts to sort of protect ships are not going far enough? What sort of risk is there that other shipping companies will follow suit? Uh, well, uh, the U.S. has uh, formed a coalition, uh, a maritime coalition, to try to protect shipping. Uh, obviously, it has not yet um, done much insofar as a deterrent to the Houthis to stop them from attacking. Um, there was just on Tuesday evening, uh, Houthis fired two more uh, ballistic missiles from Yemen into the Red Sea, according to U.S. Central Command. Uh, the U.N. Secret- uh, Security Council is going to be having an emergency meeting on tensions in the Red Sea um, uh, today. Uh, uh, There have been, since uh, mid-November, there have been now two dozen attacks uh, in the Red Sea uh, from uh, Houthi rebels in Yemen. Okay, Bruce Einhorn, thank you so much for bringing us up to date with the developments in the Middle East. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Tesla has officially lost its crown as the world's biggest electric car maker as its delivery numbers fell behind China's BYD in the fourth quarter. Elon Musk's company did beat analysts' expectations with deliveries but faced fierce competition on price from its Chinese rival. Our tech reporter Aggie Cantrell joins us now from Berlin. Good morning, Aggie. How significant, how important then is this for Tesla and the global EV market more broadly? 
Hi, yes, so it is something that is quite interesting, at least for Tesla, to have fallen behind BYD in this way. Um, it's mainly driven by the fact that BYD has a broader lineup of cheaper models um, in China. And China, which is their home market, is also still very much their core market. Um, of course, we all saw that clip from over 10 years ago now, where Elon Musk laughed off the idea that BYD was serious competition for his company. But in more recent uh, uh, times he has said that they are indeed competitive and uh, with with Tesla and it's interesting to see also the way that Elon Musk has really sort of presented the value proposition for Tesla as a company that is also very much engaged with for instance the battery um, uh, developing batteries and also uh, the charging network that is something that BYD does also they own their own battery supply chain which allows for the company to have committed to vertical integration from a very early stage. So there's a lot of aspects of BYD that makes it quite competitive. And as and as you look at the broader EV market with traditional car makers like Volkswagen here in Germany trying to get into uh, EVs, they're having to make costly deals in order to do the same thing that BYD is doing. So what does this mean then for China to become such a significant exporter of EVs? Yes, so it is interesting that China has essentially become a rival to Japan for the global leader in passenger car exports now. And about 1.3 million of those 3.6 million uh, vehicles that are being shipped from mainland China are EVs. And so they've clearly, uh, this is a real turnaround from where China was before, where they were developing, uh, they were producing the cars that other countries were designing, but you didn't have Chinese automakers as um, uh, a uh, as a global leader, that really has changed, and it's also interesting to see that the European car makers are also also feel threatened by this, and the EU has also imposed this um, this uh, review of um, of the Chinese subsidies of the EV industry because there is also a potential that they think that they are too heavily subsidised, and that's a risk for European automakers. And the EU accounts for about a third of all China's EV exports. So it is a concern for China that they want to keep the EU on side as a, as a key trading partner in this space. Yeah, absolutely. Shifting sands of the EV global market. Just briefly, though, it was still a strong quarter for Tesla, surely? Yes, absolutely. I mean, 1.8 million vehicles being delivered this year is a significant amount um, uh, because... Um, especially in the current macro market. And also, we all know that Tesla's products are not the cheapest. So they have really performed incredibly well. And that's what a lot of analysts pointed out, too, that it shows that there is clear momentum in 2024, especially if there are uh, improvements in um, the global economy. Um, and that there is also this issue that the company is facing of trying to scale up the Cybertruck deliveries. But really, the company itself is still performing very well. It's just no Notable as a shift within a sort of a macro shift within the EV space, the BYD offering cheaper models has managed to overtake their deliveries this quarter. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. 
Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.